What's going on, Cornhole Nation? It's Michelle Thompson here with Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. And we are so excited because we just came off a pretty cool weekend. Not only did we have our ACL Pro Shootout number seven, but we had our first European Open. Uh, we had uh, actually quite a bit of European players show up. We had a handful of U.S. players and even Canadians. So really excited to dive into that a little bit later into the show. But uh, Trey and I were actually in Wichita, Kansas. Got to see that stuff live. Uh, Anthony, what was your weekend like? Uh, a little basketball. Um, surprise, surprise. Um, surprise. Moved my daughter into college, daughter. so that was a big oh. that was a big thing for us this weekend too. So that, that was actually pretty exciting for her. Um, you know, everywhere like a baby. No, yeah, see, did you I, shed I, tears? Yeah, no, I don't do that. Um, but I don't do uh, that. Yeah, it's weird. I don't, it's really I don't weird. have emotion. He says it's really weird. Emotion. My wife says I have a black heart, uh, but I I feel emotion. I just I just don't get to the point of uh. Crying. I looked at it as an exciting, you know, she's, she's kind of on to this next chapter and she's been working really hard to get there. She got all the acceptances she needed, all the classes were lined up. So I was like, this is exciting, you know, we're checking out the restaurants and where classes are going to be. Who's your neighbor? Like, it was fun. I thought how it was far fun. away from home. Will it be different? Two hours. Okay. That's not bad. Two hours. She's in Pueblo, Pueblo, when Colorado. Last... When it's her last what? When it's your last kid, is it going to be different when those when the house is then empty? Man, you talk about celebrating, man. I mean, that's celebration. <laughs> right there, that's Anthony, like, that's you're like, my kind of guy. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you put all this work into developing them and make them into these, you know, or to share all these tools to, to make, you know, hopefully they become great adults. So it's like now you wait and see what the product of all that work is. So I'm excited to see what she does. <laughs> It's a good attitude to have. I like it. Yeah. But the wife was right. bawling her eyeballs out. <laughs> <laughs> As would I, I would imagine. Yeah. Excited and also crying. I think you can have both. Um, but Wichita, Kansas, this was a really cool venue. I guess you guys have been there before for a previous, was it an open before or a shootout? National. national. A national. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, yeah, really cool to be on the actual university campus. Uh, so we had our men's singles winners. Tanner Halbert took first. Jimmy McGuffin took second. For women's, we had Cameron Belvin that took first. And Sarah Cassidy took second. And then doubles, we had Caleb Batson and Tyler Cobb took first. And Cheyenne Renner and Noah Almanza took second. So really, really good stuff. Trey, what are your thoughts on all the action there in Wichita? Yeah, so Tanner Halbert, big win by him, I think. It's not a surprise to anybody that Tanner Halbert wins a shootout. Maybe I think the only surprise that maybe we saw on the weekend was that he scored a five and a seven in one game against Mark Richards. That was probably the yeah, right. the biggest the biggest surprise that we saw. Um, Mark in Richards the first scored, round, right? I think it was one of the first rounds. Yeah, it was like first round he scores a seven, and then and yeah. then Richards scores two, and then two, and then two to make it seven six. And you're like, okay, it was one bad round, and now. Richard's just going to put the, the pedal on and uh, nope. Tanner Halbert scores a five and makes him play catch up again. But ultimately Halbert is, is just too much. So um, yeah, you know, excited to kind of watch Tanner Halbert and how he, how he continues to, to, to roll through the rest of this season, you know, obviously had some big runs in nationals. Um, and, and so, yeah, when in that, when that seven shootout, I thought was a, a pretty big win for him. And same thing with Cameron Belvin, I thought this was a case of two people that at the beginning of the season, we probably would have picked to win shootouts just took a little bit longer maybe than we thought they would. 
right? Um, Cameron Belvin's got it together. She's kind of locked in. Um, she takes down Sarah Cassidy in the finals. And I think Sarah Cassidy's in a little bit of crunch time right now. I think Sarah Cassidy's kind of looking around going, uh, I haven't qualified yet, right? Um, I wouldn't have, I would have been shocked if he had told me Sarah Cassidy was not going to have won a shootout at this point um, this, this year. But I think yeah. the only good news is for her is that shootout number eight will be outside and she won the outside one last year. So that, that might be a little bit of a, a confidence booster for her. On the double side, um, Batson and Cobb, I was so impressed with Tyler Cobb specifically, right? Um, when I was watching uh, Noah Almanza play, you know, and how good Noah Almanza has been, I thought the game would be decided um, by Noah Almanza. Um, but really, I thought the game was decided by Tyler Cobb. He was so locked in. We knew Caleb Batson was having a good summer. But Cobb, time and time again, just made it really hard to score. I mean, he was putting bags in and bags in, staying around the hole. He didn't give up any big numbers. I mean, it was it was the first time since probably the bag brawl when when Cobb and Humans on that one day they won their bracket. They didn't really translate it over into the broadcast, but that one day from Tyler Cobb was the best that I've seen him all year. So it was just really reassuring to watch, you know, Tyler Cobb play at such a high level. Um, it was impressive to see. Cheyenne Renner was probably the most frustrated person leaving the building. I mean, she, she literally said out loud to me, she's got, I didn't want it. She said, apparently I didn't want it. I mean, she was so mad. She felt like, or, or Trey was James Baldwin putting out vibes of like, (laughs) yeah, please please lose, please lose, please lose. Um, You know, it'll be, it'll be interesting. You know, unfortunately for Renner, I mean, going to shootout number eight, going outside, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't love, I don't love that her and Baldwin. I mean, they may, they may finish, finish really well, but the field is so stacked and that pro shootout number and that last pro shootout of everybody trying to get in that it just, I don't know. It feels tough to, to favor them outside. So it felt like this was the one to win, um, you know, cause, cause getting there, I thought Renner was so good. And Almanza was good. It was just right at the end. Renner just had like two rounds where she just pushed a bunch of bags left. And it was just, it was just very un-Renner like. She had a few, um, a few off as well. She was yeah. A few yeah. Off. It just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, I'm not really worried about it. I'm just saying it, 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 it was just shocking to be honest with you. Um, but, but yeah, I thought it, it was, you know, Richards and Guy continue to not be able to win singles at shootouts. I just find it so interesting that they just yeah. can't figure it out. Um, but, but ultimately I thought, um, it, it was a really good weekend, a solid weekend. Uh, we saw a lot of great talent, uh, was impressed by Jimmy McGuffin. He continues his really strong run, um, over the past few weeks. And he becomes someone that I think is going to be again, dangerous when he kind of gets back into a new season, when he can engage and really re-engage I mean, Think about it. Jimmy McGuffin's had three doubles partners across the season, mm-hmm. right? I mean, never got that that, you know, tried and true someone he could count on. And next year he will him and Damon, they're going to be, they're going to be reliable. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see um, Jimmy McGuffin continue into next season. So uh, ultimately I thought it was, a, it was a pretty fun weekend. What do you think, Anthony? 
Yeah, just feeding off your comment on Richard. So I was going back and forth with him a little bit yesterday, just trying to understand, you know, what's going differently in the shootouts. And he did say that he is being more cautious in the shootout, you know, format versus the to 21. And then, you know, we've heard him talk on some recent podcasts about wanting to improve or implement some type of a, a defensive or a manufacturing of points. He said, I have the ability to 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 play a defensive strategy, but he could up at another level on manufacturing of shots. So we'll see if that's kind of what he does going forward. But just some notable performances in the shootout or in the men's singles portion of it. Nico Morellas, I mean, he topped the charts in the stats in his two games. He put up 88% of his bags in the hole. That's a really high number when you look at, basically you're talking 11s all the time. If you can put 88% yeah. of your bags into the hole. Um, and he ultimately fell to Noah Wooten in game three. Shermer Horn looks strong. He's the 78th ranked player coming out of Worlds. He took took down the number 11 bagger in Philip Lopez. He took down number 17 in Dylan Turpin before ultimately following uh, to the champ. Worthy note there. Good good run for, for Shermerhorn. But you got to love, the, and I, I think what he's even mentioned on the, uh, on the stream, you got to love the Wooten pulling Matt Guy for the match to get to TV, right? Yes, we're talking about contrasting styles, and that makes for an interesting game, but that's not why it was a great matchup. I mean, let's face it, Trey Mish, you know, anyone who publicly follows Wooten knows that Wooten is the complete opposite of a Matt Guy fan, right? We're not talking about enemies here, but there's really zero tolerance for the Matt Guy antics, uh, you know, some level of respect loss with historical, historical actions. But even through that, if you note, Noah initiated both the pregame and the postgame knuckles. You know, even through that, he was like, yeah. all right, let's go. We're going we're gonna to battle that on the board. So he kept it clean. Noah Wooten ended up getting the, the win on that. Big win for him to get to the uh, to the semifinal. But the shootout final ended up being Halbert and, and McGuffin, as you were saying. And I loved it. Halbert said it perfectly at the end. He said, as he was walking down after the win, he said, finally finished it one mm -hmm. time. Yep. My guy has been right there, right? So many times, <laughs> nationals, worlds, shootouts, he finally gets it done here. And really, the difference in the match, there were three step-out shots by Tanner and four off-the-board shots by McGuffin. So you're talking about 80 total bags thrown between the two players. Seven bags were the difference in the match. It goes to show how important every shot is and how critical it is to choose to make those shot selections. So Halbert's step-out game... But McGuffin was missing airmails. He never misses airmails. Exactly. Air exactly. So, um, yeah. So, McGuffin missed four big shots. He had uh, two rounds where he went clean off the back, unforced errors, and then he missed two airmails. So, you take those. Those are 12 points sitting on mm -hmm. the floor. You got Halbert, his step-out game. Round one, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there in my living room going, what are, you, what are you doing here, man? What are you doing? He's got a bag sitting on the nine o'clock position, and he's a right-hander. So he takes as much step out as he can. And as you know, as, an in, as a, as a right-hander, you don't get the full step out, right? The distance of your shoulders is going to prevent you from getting another foot and a half step out. And he's pulling off the nine o'clock. So I'm sitting there going, oh, don't go and try and rescue this bag because McGuffin was sitting 12. If he misses that, he's giving up four right out of the gate in round one. If he flies off the back, which you see happen a lot trying to chase bags like that, he's down five out of the gate. He hits those shots. Round two, he had another step out going the other direction, pulls it off the four o'clock, and then he had a really good push in round six, getting around traffic. Those were 12 points that he successfully got. So if you look at those, that's a 24-point swing. 
He gets his 12. McGuffin leaves 12 points on the game. You have a completely different game if even one of those airmail hit and Tanner missed one of those shots. But ultimately, man, he gets he, he gets it. And so he's going to take that seventh spot. Um, he's going to be the third ranked player right now going into the shootouts uh, behind Rawls and Graham. So he's going to be uh, a favorite, you know, one of the favorites going into that one. Just talking through women's singles real quick. Papke put up good numbers. Odom, mm-hmm. Glass, and Luna put up really good numbers. But but freaking Cameron Belvin, she was cooking. I mean, she turned it on at Worlds. We saw her turn it on at Worlds. It continued here into shootout seven. And if you look across both the men's and women's brackets, all of the field, only one bagger had more points per round than Belvin. We're talking about the entire pro field. And then if you look at DPR, she was number three across the entire field in DPR too. So, and only one opponent got a lead on her and it was three zip the entire way. The rest of the way, she had the lead the entire way. So I think she's the most trouble right now for Cheyenne Renner. We look at this coming into the final right now. She's hot. I think she's going to give Cheyenne Renner the most trouble for that 40 K payout. We'll have to see how that one plays out. Another a benefit for Belvin though, is because she's the seventh seed, she'll play the two seed meaning she's on the other side of the bracket is the one seed Cheyenne Renner. Uh-huh. So she would not have to play Renner until the shootout final, assuming they both get there. Good call. That sounds good call. like a good uh, prediction right there. No doubt. <laughs> Michelle, uh, I'll just wrap up doubles real quick. So some notable performances again, Nico Morales uh, again. I mean, he was, he was insane in two matches. He gave up two points. So <laughs> the whole day he gives up two points. I'm like, that's pretty dang good. Um, I really thought Turpin and, Franklin, we're going to, we're going to do well in this shootout seven. I mean, Turpin can run bags with the best. He can navigate traffic. Well, he's got a strong push. He's got a good airmail. And then we saw Franklin break out a few times in nationals this year, both carpet guys, the pairing felt legit, but they take a round one loss to Belvin and Morton. I mean, a clear upset in my opinion and in subpar stats. I mean, if you look at it across the board, it didn't look good for Turpin. Now uh, he takes a, that 10, 11, it was 11 to 10 loss there. He really just floored at the wrong time. Smith and Fuentes looked like an interesting partnership. Uh, it really was going to come down to Fuentes. And man, did he struggle. Check this out. Minus 1.17 DPR in match one against Tiffany Sparks. A minus 1.17 DPR in match two against David Sutton. And a minus 1.6 DPR against Frank Modlin in match three. You simply cannot win matches when you're plus one DPR, they fall short to the uh, just one game of the semifinals. Harbaugh and Halbert, clear favorites in this one. They fell a game short in the championship match, taken out by Renner and Almanza. Halbert slayed it. Doubles, mm-hmm. singles, he looked good all tournament. Harbaugh was fire all the way up to the broadcast match. He was mm-hmm. winning his side every single game. He was winning his side Kind of fell apart there on the on the broadcast. Um, it, it ultimately came down to him. Um, but Cobb and Batson, you mentioned it. They literally rolled through the entire tournament. They never trailed late in matches. Round seven and on, never trailed. The only time they were in trouble was against Morton and Belvin. And oddly, they were in trouble down 14. They were up 14 to zip. Morton and Belvin came all the way back. They gave up uh, 12 unanswered points. It's 14 to 12 going into the last round. And they ultimately, I think they got a 10. It was a 10-10 wash in that final round. Sneak past that one. But from there, they just rolled the whole time. But Trey, I got something for you. 
Batson, Tyler Cobb. Are we looking at maybe a 2023 season <laughs> partnership? What do you think? Uh, man, that's that's interesting. I, I don't know. Does Batson feel good enough to leave Grindersleeve? So here's my exactly. thoughts. Um, here's my thoughts on this. And for the record, when when players talk to me about something and they say, can we keep this here? I'm a vault. Like literally nothing will ever be said. So all everything I'm saying has never been approached to me. This is just rumors that I'm hearing. I'm hearing Josh Gross is out for next season. Now, that's just a rumor. I don't know if it is. If he is, that makes A.J. Sims available. If A.J. Mm -hmm. Sims is available and Batson and the Cobb family have really made this tight connection, he's actually not Caleb Batson anymore. He's Caleb Cobb, I think is what they're calling him. He's a Cobb. So he's a member yeah. of the Cobb family. So if he moves over to a Ty Cobb, that makes A.J. Sims available and Grindersleeve available to partner up. Just throwing it out there. I, I think it's, it's interesting. It's, it's possible. I think the wild card there is still Kobe Costanza, right? I think there's still a chance that, you know, the Costanza gets thrown in that mix somewhere. Because I don't know yep. who Kobe's going to play with, right? right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think out of the gate, it was probably a possibility he was going to play with Tyler. But you know how quickly these things evolved, right? I like, you know, people put out there, there's no way that Jordan Power and Jay Rubin were ever going to split up. I'm telling you, they were going to. <laughs> it, it was, their mind was made up at some point that they were gone. Right, but, but yep, winning a world championship absolutely changes yeah. people's minds and people changes people things. Change minds, but all right, I know we're super <laughs> long on time. Misha's gonna yell at us. I got two quick things. One, oh my goodness, first, Trey, first event ever that Tanner Halbert's wife, Cat Halbert, was not there. Right? Oh, we talked about that. Oh, what happened he did he win? <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. Second thing, and this is gonna disappoint so many people. I saw Mark Richards in the lobby. I went up to him. I said, man, you've had some time to kind of think through everything. You know, you won, obviously, but on the double side, Jordan Power lets that bag go and says, maybe the number one player in the world, but he doesn't get nervous. What went through your head at that time? And he goes, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear nothing. <laughs> I didn't hear anything. He said, I, I didn't even know he said that until I called him the next day and we started yeah. talking about it. He yep. said uh, it was, but I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, so non so didn't, didn't affect him is the, yeah, non-fact, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and bring Mike Morton on for his uh, segment here. Uh, we're going to talk some stats. Welcome, Mike, to the show. Hey, guys. So uh, fantastic weekend in Wichita. A lot of great cornhole. Uh, I'll try to be quick here because I know we're running a little bit long, but one trend I thought I was picking up on is I didn't feel like I was seeing a lot, as many sort of lead changes um, in the shootout format is as I'm accustomed to. So I took the time this morning, just got back at like 4.30 in the morning from Wichita myself. So um, I took the time to go through all of the brackets that were there, um, women's singles, men's singles, and doubles. So not including rounders, but the bracket play themselves. There's a total of 98 matches, all right? So I went through those 98 matches and kind of broke down some of the stats Similar to some stats that I provided earlier in the year and just kind of seeing if they stayed true or consistent. And I think they're a little different. So of the 98 matches, do you guys have a guess on how many of them constituted or had at any time a lead change at any time percentage whatsoever had number. a lead change? 70 a percentage, a percentage. How many percent do you think had a lead change? So in other words, it wasn't just one player or one team 
running away with it without ever yielding a lead. 70%. Trey, you say 70? I do like a high percentage too. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 71%. Yeah. I was like, I was going to go 75. I'll go 75. So it's not that 72. All right. Actually, we're going in the opposite direction. Oh, yeah. Take that, both of you. This time, only 56% of the matches featured a lead change of, of of any shape or form. So there was a lot of matches where the first player that scored a point just went ahead and and ran it on out. So yeah, not to say I those matches weren't more, close, but the but more I talk myself, right? I mean that. The more I think about it, though, that doesn't actually shock me because we are still talking about round limited games. The longer right. a game goes on, the higher that number is going to go, right? Because yeah. you've got a more of a chance. It may be four to two, six to two, eight to two, eight to six. You know, and then game over. And then a play to 21 game, that person actually takes the lead at some point. Yeah, and there could whatever have been happens, lead changes yeah. in a whole game at that point from that point yeah. forward. So of the lead, the, the lead changes in rounds seven through 12, 29.59, let's say 30%, 30% of the games saw lead changes within the last four frames. Okay. So to me, that that actually says exciting cornhole. So almost a third of the matches featured a lead change within the last four frames of the match. Hundred percent. That sounds that. Yeah. That that. I love that. That's. I think that sounds that, about right. I think that kind of illustrates the point that what we've been saying a lot of the times is that this is a different style of cornhole than the race to twenty-one. Um, it, it is a, a nice format for TV. The, the matches are shorter, more predictable length. But for the viewers at home, you know it. It's exciting. Every, you know, 30% of the matches came down to the last four frames. Um, right. So, um, and, and of the other 70%, a lot of those matches were close. They just didn't have a, a lead change. So, you know, they could have, you know, been a 10-8 game and finished at 10-8. So that wouldn't factor in. So a lot of close matches there. That, that was definitely uh, one of the takeaways. Now, the last stat that I got for you guys is um, – well, actually, really quick, I want to ask you this question. Do you think the difference in the men and the women's play, where I think it's a, a given that the women like to run the bags a little bit more than, than a lot of the guys that like to play the dirtier style game, would you expect to see um, more lead changes on the men's side, the women's side, or do you think it would be about the same? I would say definitely more lead changes on the men's side. I think on the women's side, there's there's a gap in talent. You know, I mean, after you get across three or four, boom, you really have a gap in talent. Um, I think that the men are a little bit more tight on the talent, plus the dirty style game. Yeah, I, I would say more lead changes on the men's side. I would I would say the same thing. Yeah. So so in this case, the numbers do bear that out. Fifty um, percent of the the women's matches featured lead changes. 62% of the men's matches featured lead changes. So just close. Just yeah, another, I say close to what close, I thought yeah. it would be. Yeah. 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 But now to be fair, there was only 16 women's matches in the bracket. So it is a small sample size. You know, so mm-hmm. we, we need to look at that over a larger sample. But I thought that was interesting because, again, the hypothesis was actually proven in the numbers. So You know what, though, too? Once, once you start pulling women out, 
you pull out Renner, you pull out Altice, or you pull out these these mm -hmm. uh, elite level the women. Now the talent gets now the talent gets similar all of a sudden. So that's yes. a huge result too. Yeah. So especially later in the season at these shootouts yep. when you know presumably the top six or seven women have already qualified. So anyway, that was just something unique that I found. But the last stat that I that I pulled throughout all the matches again, ninety eight matches, um, and this number was consistent within a point and a half between women's doubles and men's. So didn't really make a difference. What do you think the percentage of the wins were for the player or team that scored first? Mish, let's ask you first. Let, let's, let's ask Mish's opinion. So, what, what do you think? So you're saying out of, out of all the singles and doubles, if somebody scored first, they won. What percentage? Yeah. How many percentage of the time did, did you win if you scored the first point? I'm gonna just go 50 because I I don't I don't know which way that would go. So right. guaranteed, you said that there was a lead change in 58. percent So guaranteed, 42 percent are. Uh, <laughs> there's got to be a guaranteed 42 percent there well, there's not necessarily, lead because there could have been a lead change and then a retaking of the lead. So there there could have been multiple lead changes back and forth. So you, know, you I'm could saying score the, the first opposite lead. of the opposite of 58 percent would yep, yep. so for. So, oh, you're so right. Forty-two percent, okay. yeah, forty-two percent. If they didn't have a lead change, then they right. won. Yeah, right. Forty-two percent was, was <laughs> a runaway. So it's a guaranteed forty-two percent, which means I'm going to go much higher because I think there's less than. So then, of the of the games that are that have a lead change, let's say it's fifty percent that win there. So I'm going to take fifty-eight percent, cut it in half. That's about thirty. I'll say 73%. I love I really it. Like, yeah, yeah. I really like that number. I'm just going to go with that. I feel like we played this game before, right? But we did it with first yeah. and 21, and it was like it was in the 70s, and this is a round limited. You take the lead. You got less chance to catch up. I like 73. I'm going to go a little higher. I'm going to say 78%. This is one where I think the numbers shocked me because I would have been right there with you guys, and when we did this before – I'm pretty sure we were in the uh, around the 70% for the first point. Um, this time it was 61%. Wow, so that is shockingly low. <laughs> Shocking. There were a lot of matches that were skewed by this fact right here. One player or team would jump up one to nothing. And then round two, the eventual winning team would take the lead two to one and then go ahead and, and run away with it. Honestly, there was there was probably about seven or eight matches I can think of off the top of my head out of those 98 where that kind of skewed it. Not necessarily skewed it, it's a fact, but one to nothing lead, and then bam, there's a lead change in round two, and then they never look back. So yeah, just some weird numbers. So anyway, 61% of the time, if you score first, you win. Um every time up. I think we were about 70% earlier in the season. So uh first point is important. All right. That's a good lesson for everyone. Thanks so much, Mike. Absolutely. Appreciate your time. All right. Take Thanks, care. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Moving on to the Europe Open. Uh, USA took first. France took second. For singles, our winners were Sean Farrell and then second place, Justin Stranger. For doubles, Corey Gilbert and Josh Leland, Mike German and Denny M Milan. And then for Malin. the Pro X. Malin. Okay, thank you. For the pro exhibition, we had Josh Leland and Renee, Renee Schindler take first. Mike German and Xavier Michel took second. Trey, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I just got to give a shout out to Stacy Moore. If you guys weren't paying attention, hey, if you yeah. weren't watching, he was doing commentary on the thing. He was, um, you know, Bernie got sick right before he was supposed to go. Who so did he, Bernie who did he do go. it with? He did it with Tone. So Tone is our ACL Europe representative. He's kind of like the, the director of ACL Europe. He knows a lot of those European players and, um, so although he doesn't have a ton of broadcasting experience, we wanted Tone to be a part of it because, you know, he's built so much out there, but what does Stacey Moore do to open the show? Right. It's, it, we roll the opening credits and, you know, normally it's Jeff McCarriger. Hey, well, welcome to blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just hear dropped out of nowhere. Hot damn, we're in Rotterdam. Just <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> as our opening line. From That's the amazing. Moore. Um, no, it, it was a great event. I was impressed. I expected to tune in and watch some of these European players and kind of almost cringe and say to myself, man, the talent just really isn't there. But that was not the case. Sure, they have a long way to go in developing what I would call the depth of shot-making yeah. abilities, right? I'm not seeing anybody out there with a roll bag or anything like that with these cut shots. But when you really break it down to just a slide shot and an airmail, these guys are really far ahead of where I thought they would be, especially the guys from France. Um, Matau, um Rivo, I believe is how you pronounce the name, and I probably just butchered that. Him alongside David uh, David Paridi from France, those two guys could legit compete in some events here in the United States. There was one game where Rivo threw a 10-5, right, in a game as far as a PPR goes. Now, he had another game where he threw a 6-8, right? right? We're seeing this high volatility, but that's true of a lot of people coming out of the gate and learning how to play the game, especially at a high level. But when you look at a round-limited game, Revo beat Justin Stranger 18 to 13 in a heads up matchup in that team event. And when you're talking about going toe to toe on a broadcast court against an ACL pro, I believe ranked in the top 50, that tells you that France is not that far behind, at least at the top level. Was really impressed, really excited to see all these European teams. Um, I thought we sent some great representatives. You know, Josh Thielen, Corey Gilbert were awesome. Josh Thielen won that pro invitational or pro exhibition alongside Renee Schindler out of Germany. Germany had a really good showing. Um, I think this is going to be a catalyst to get everybody excited because it, it was kind of the starting point of, of launching everything. And, um, you know, really, really just happy and pleased with how it went and, and really impressed by some of the talent. Absolutely. Did you get to catch any of that, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. My first takeaway was uh, the fist bump is universal. That's the universal language. Okay. They were they were doing it out there. there Everybody go. was fist bumping. So apparently yeah. that's passed on. Uh, did you see that cameraman, Trey? I feel like he was like in the hole. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like sometimes the players were like, all right, the cameraman is in the box. He is like yes. right in the box. <laughs> it actually gave us some pretty cool shots. I thought that was cool. Um, yeah, yeah some, back- of the, some of the replays were really cool. Yeah. I was like, I don't think we can get away with it though here, but the, you gave you some, it gave us some good angles. Um, but yeah, back to your your point about um, there was some talent. The depth just doesn't wasn't there. There was a lot of volatility, and what you see is what I expected to see. So when we first when we see comp level players 
novice level players, they are all throwing what I call this is a little cornhole sciency, but it'll they'll all throw a handshake release. So it's very pinky low. It's just really comfortable. It's weak side. It doesn't require any strength to really get underneath it like this. So a lot of these handshake releases, it's going to take strength to get to flat. It's going to take a lot of practice to get to roll, and it's going to take a lot more practice to get to cuts. And those are basically all your positions. So I expected that, but I did run some Matt uh, or some uh, Mike Morton style numbers real quick because I thought it was interesting. And Mish, I'll try and be quick. I see where we're at on time. I just looked at PPR. I went and grabbed the world's bracket A. I just grabbed a random bracket, world's bracket A pro. What percentage of players were throwing 10s, 9s, 8s, and below? I grabbed an advanced bracket uh, A at Worlds. What percentage were throwing all of those in the same for Europe? So check this out. Going across 10s at the pro level, what percentage of players were throwing 10s at the pro level? 2%. And again, I'm grabbing just one random bracket. That's a 64-man bracket. Advanced, zero players through 10s at Worlds in that particular bracket I, I, I grabbed and 0% through uh, 10s in Europe. Nines, here's where it starts to break apart. 51% of pros in bracket A at Worlds through nines. In advance, that dropped to 2%. Whoa. At, in Europe, that was 3%. Now, I think that's a little skewed because we had some pros in there. We had some pros in there, but only a couple. So that kind of gives you a sense. Eights and below at the pro level, 40% of pros through eights in one bracket. 31% in advance, and then it drops to the Europe, 23%. Here's where we see a big difference below eights. Only 8% of pros through below eights, 67% of advanced players through below eights, and 73% of Europe. So basically where it looks is Europe looks to be kind of between comp and advanced in, in just looking at PPRs. And I think it's pretty accurate because like you said, we didn't see any blocks. We didn't see any dirty strategy. It was really just how many bags you can put in the hole. So I think the PPR number was pretty accurate. Interesting. That's kind of Love shocking that. about the advance though. I think I would have thought they would have been yep. a little closer, I guess. Right. Okay. We have uh, coming up uh, some exciting events. The first one is the pro invitational. We did do the drawing or, or Sean Latham did the drawing. That was fun if you guys didn't catch that. That was on the ACL Live, right? That yes. That was? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is happening uh, in Airmail City in California on Sunday, September 4th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Our lineup is Tanner Halbert and Whitney Martinez, Connie Altice and Josh Holland, Tony Smith and Kaylee Hunter, Courtney Coy and Alex Rawls, Jamie Graham and Sarah Cassidy, Mark Richards and Cheyenne Renner, Matt Guy and Yeti Irwan, and Noah Almanza and Cameron Belvin. So, Trey, any quick thoughts on our teams going into that pro invitational? Aside from the obvious, how the heck did Mark Richards and Cheyenne Manor get team together? Did somebody, <laughs> did they slip Sean some money? I mean, how did this happen? Yeah, it's luck of the draw. I mean, and, you know, I, unfortunately, though, they got probably the worst draw you could get as far as the first game goes. I mean, the other person, you got another MVP candidate playing with the number two ranked female. So it's number yeah. one and number yeah. one against sometimes number two and number two. I yeah. mean, it's, it's not an easy draw, but yeah, Richards and Redder will be, will be a favorite, but there's an element to playing outside. Airmail city's outside. This isn't going to be indoors. Right. So, I mean, true. I think, I think there's going to be an element um, to do that. Um, I think a sneaky team is Cameron Belvin and, and Noah Almanza. I Boom. think that team, yeah. how good Cameron Belvin has been playing 
if she's been playing, if she had been playing like this all year long, she wouldn't be where she was in the ranking. She'd be like number two, or I mean, who knows? She could be in number one, depending on how consistent she was. So yeah. you take her and, and put her in there and put her against someone with Noah Almanza, who had a really strong second half of the year. I, I don't know. I think it could be something pretty, pretty scary. Um, if, if Tony Smith and Kaylee Hunter can find a bag that works and does the shot selection that they want, they can be deadly. Um, well, Kaylee used but to other throw than that, uh, she used to throw Vikings. I think that that would work. Yeah, I think it would work too. Um, I just, I just wonder if they can find a, a way to get there. If you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're both going to throw BGs. Neither is a BG player, right? So I think, yeah. I think you end up maybe they throw a, throw a fire vengeance or something along those lines. Maybe even a right. torch. I'm not sure. So, um, but excited, excited to see kind of how the teams. The thing is, though, last time we did this, last year we did this, and we were like, Sam Finley and Jordan Camba, they're going to run away with this thing. And they lost the first game. So there's going to be yeah, someone that comes out here that's supposed to be really good. I don't know if it's going to be Richardson Runner or somebody else. Somebody else that we think is going to be a top candidate to win this whole thing is going to lose early. It always happens. All right. Now what do you think, Anthony? Yeah, qu quick thought. I mean, <clears throat> let's ignore what bag she threw, but I have my contraband shirt on for a reason. Belvin with the win. <clears throat> and I think she's going to be killing... Let's go back to Spencer McKenzie's last year. Who was in the final at that outdoor tournament? Cameron Belvin. I think that she can do really well outside. She clearly demonstrated it. I think that they're with no Almanza street or uh, popping off here in the second half. Like I agree with Trey. I think they're going to be a threat here in the end. Well, we will have to see. Also coming up this week, we have our pro shootout number eight. That's going to be at the Ventura County Fairgrounds on August 26th. Uh, what are some players you want to, you want to talk about Trey? Well, I mean, it's outside. Um, first on the single side, I think yeah. for me, I, I got to look for, you know, people that haven't qualified yet. So Richards and guy, those are my top two that you think they should have already qualified. Right. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. but then if I'm looking through the rest of this list, Tony Smith, Devin Harbaugh, Ryan Windsor, you know, a player I really like outside Jay Rubin coming off of a big world oh, yeah. championship win. I think he is a dominant player outside Cody Henderson and Adam Hissner have won Spencer McKenzie's before. So now I put them on site there, let them play outside in the shootout could be an opportunity for them to, to just get bypassed this entire shootout year and then come in right at the end and say, I'm going to win the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Right. They have the ability to do that and win at a really high level. Um, James Baldwin has won outside before. That's going to be interesting. Um, there's a lot of great players that I, I see as, as top outside level players. I mean, I'm looking here. Look at that list though. It is a hundred and plus players. I mean, that's going to be a yeah, tough. This is a, yeah. To your point, Mitch, this is a big turnout, right? For a, yeah. for a shootout. I feel like this that's is massive. Yeah. 128 massive. players in a shootout. It'll be the biggest shootout that, you know, I think well, we may have just, ever had. Yeah, that's just the men's side, though, right? Is that? Yeah, no, 128 men's singles. Yes. Yeah. So more than half the pro field. So that's yeah, nuts. but uh, and then on the maybe on the double side, as I'm looking through here, double side. I, I, you know me, I always like to pull out kind of the interesting pairings. Yeah. But this is kind of the first time I'm seeing everybody going. Nope time to put up or shut up i'm playing with my partner <laughs> there's a lot of players yep. playing with their normal doubles partner. there is maybe there is though to what you said earlier aj sims and eddie grindersleeve 
Yep, they're playing together. Justin Rule and Jacob Trzinski, Stephen Ochoa and Joe Niestet, Derek King and Tony Smith, Dylan Turpin and Caleb Franklin, another team. I mean, but for the most part, there's a lot of – even Dave Morse and Eric Anderson, Damon Dennis, Lester Price, but there's a lot of teams competing here that are playing with their normal doubles partner, and I think that means they see the stakes of this one weekend – between the shootout and Spencer's and all the money that they could win, I think a lot of them are saying, "Hey, we're we're, we're ready to to we need to we need to take this real seriously." No doubt. What about Connie Altice and Gage Landis, that is a random team right there. Yeah, very. I don't random. Even, what are they going to throw? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, very honestly, what are they going to throw? Carpet I don't cats. know. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony, anyone stand out to you? Yeah, I'm just looking at the list here too, Trey. I feel like you seeded this for me. I'm looking down this list going, did he put these in order of seeds for me? Because it looks like <laughs> the favorite all the way to the bottom. Well, um, I kind I mean, they're kind <laughs> of seated for a reason I can't say, but oh, yeah, okay. I mean, they're, 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 right. yeah, they're, they, you, the, the order <laughs> of the list you got is probably in order. Got to, got to. Um, yeah, I like your call with uh, Ruben on the outside. I think that he is one of the one of the better. We see what Ruben does. This guy will go out in the middle of a windstorm, winter. I mean, he's he's constantly practicing the elements outdoors, and he takes those into consideration. I'd like that call uh, in singles, and then. You know, world champs coming in are back together, power and Ruben outside. And when we talk about outside and why some people do well and not well, like we don't think a Matt guy will do as well, you know, flat bags matter. You get that little bit of wind, you get that little, it could be side wind. It could be fit. It could be wind in your face. If your bag is not perfectly flat, your bag is going to feel the effects of that. And it'd be interesting to see like a guy like Tony Smith that throws a really heavy backloaded bag. I think that's an advantage to a Phil Lopez that throws a front loaded bag. Last thing you want is dive bombs, you know, bags just yeah. taking dives right into the floor. Tony Smith would probably get like some, some kite activity or airplane. Or maybe it just gets a little lift, but ultimately it finds the board. So I think if you're flat, to backloaded, you're going to have an advantage coming into these outs outdoor tournaments. I agree. Sorry, you guys, you guys cut out for me for a second there, but I think I think I think probably everyone else heard it. But yeah, actually, Drew McGuffin told me he doesn't play outside, and I noticed his bag has a major uh, front load. nose dive. I guess yeah, front load. Front yeah, so that that makes a lot of sense. All right, also happening uh, that weekend is the Spencer McKenzie's Throwdown. Uh, this is August 27th through 28th at the Ventura County Fairgrounds. There's 1,028 teams registered, over $300,000 in prize money. The final four are going to be on ESPN3 on Sunday at 8 p.m. Pacific, which is 11 p.m. Eastern. I mean, this is what they call the biggest cornhole tournament of the year. And... Um, I'm super excited to be able to go. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this massive tournament, Dre? Well, Anthony, are you the only one of all of us that's been? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really. I'm really sad here. I'm really sad here. But you know, wait. Oh, you're, you're not. Go wait, you're not are going. You not this going? Year? I won't be there. No. What? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Have you? But you've been. I have not been. Oh, oh you're just rubbing been. it in. Yeah. Just rubbing it in, Trey. Ah, no, I thought all of us. I thought all of us had been. Uh, I thought. I thought all of us except Salt you had us. been. Man, Dang. and Michelle, Dang. you didn't last year either, right? No, we agreed to host a cornhole tournament at a friend's house like January for that exact weekend. Like, what are the chances? So silly. So close to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, I've never. 
I've never been, so I'm getting I'm getting the full scope of it. I mean, so this from what I hear last year, super windy, right? Yeah. Now awesome. I talked to John, who runs Spencer's, and he says last year was kind of an anomaly. We usually don't get that much wind. Okay. So I, I don't know if that's you know correct or if that's kind of like I'm hoping there's not, and I'm just kind of forcing my mindset that there's <laughs> weather, not a lot of wind. But weather gods, way, hear me, please. <laughs> You're playing in some like you're, you're playing, yeah. You're playing in some type of you know, um, in conditions in some way, shape, or form, right? I think that's what's always interesting about the throwdown is how much they like random seating. I mean, the ACL is running it this year and, and running the actual tournament portion, and they were very adamant. Look, every time you go to the next stage, I don't want to seed this, right? I want this to be random every single time. So there's going to be some times you come out of pool play, boom, right out of the gate, you're playing this guy against this guy, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's going to be absolutely intense with how everything lays out. But, but ultimately, I think, um, you know, we're, we're really excited to be a part of it. Um, I think there's an opportunity to, to really, um, to see some of the best players in the world play terribly right i mean when you go outside you're not oh, gonna yeah. see that yeah. right i mean i'll never forget someone came up to you he's like i scored a 12 on trey birchfield last year yeah. <laughs> i mean you're never in your life gonna throw a 12 against trey birchfield or anybody from that matter right yeah. at, at the pro level but i, really I think that's kind of the playing field <laughs> you it brings me it brings me back to the old days of when i started playing cornhole right and where a lot of people did it was like I, I like it was so funny the other day some old Facebook videos were popping up of me playing back in the day and I didn't share them on purpose because for obvious reasons but it was like outside and it was like I'd throw a seven and it was like I just threw a four bagger right I mean when you play outside sometimes you're you're so you you just you're so thankful for every single bag that gets in and there's a lot of big rounds there's a lot of sevens there's a yeah, lot yeah. of eights because you may get lucky for one round and your opponent can't fight through it or has a worse angle than you do and ends up giving up big points. So this is, it's going to be more of a wild card than we've seen. It would not surprise me if we don't have a top 10 team come in and win this whole thing. And it's someone that just knows how to battle the elements a lot better. So I think that's the most interesting part to me is finding, finding a team or, or, or a pair that, that really comes through and, um, just kind of can battle the elements better than anybody. Is it going to be double elimination? Yeah. yeah. So it's pool play on Saturday that seeds you into a B or C Okay. all of those brackets that you're seated in. All, all, so then bracket, you know, the top a section is divided into a bunch of double elimination brackets. If you win that bracket, you go to the final single elimination bracket. Um, so it's like three different stages. It's the pool play. It's the then once you've made your pool play, you made your tier. It's the bracket play through the tier and then into the final single limb bracket. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be a, a, a talent leveler, if you will. I mean, you've got the elements. You've got, you know, rough on the seating. So you could have a lot of good players knocking each other out. You're right. It could be. I think ultimately, though, the... The, the you know the good players are going to show up some good players are going to show up in the end but uh, it'll be fun to break down those stats like if i get in here after spencer's and go all right guys you know what the average ppr was it was a 5.9 you know or something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be awesome <laughs> 
and a DPR of 5.9. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be, it, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be really crazy and interesting to see how it all plays out. No doubt. All right. It is time for our hot takes and I am going to pick something really random based on the elements. So I'm curious to hear what yours are. Assuming you're picking something for Spencer McKenzie's. What do you got, Trey? Yeah, I am going to go that direction. Um, okay. For the Spencer McKenzie's throwdown, somebody ranked nobody in the top 10 in singles or doubles will win this event. Okay, I like that one. Anthony? I'm going to go the other way because I uh, I think these two baggers excel outdoors. Uh, they both excel in conditions changing, board speed, wind, different bags. And I'm 99% sure they're they're partnered up. I don't have a roster Jamie Graham and Jay Rubin win Spencer McKenzie's. Ooh. I believe they're partners. Ooh. If not, scratch right, that so hot take. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't happen. Yeah. Okay, I'm going. I'm looking at the list of men's and women's singles for the shootout, and I'm I'm picking people that I think can their style of play can deal with the elements. So I'm picking Tegan Owens and Tony Smith. So that's my hot oh. take. Yeah. I like it. And if it happens, I will look so smart, but uh, that doesn't normally happen. <laughs> but uh, if it does, go. Go Tegan Owens and Tony Smith for your pro shootout men's and women's singles. But that's all we got. We will find out, obviously, next week when we come back here. But everyone, enjoy the rest of your weeks. For those of you going to Spencer McKenzie's, we will see you there. And uh, that's all we got for the show this week.